welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. We're going to continue our series called On Mission. We're up to part five. And this is the, the final part of our series. Not that we go off mission after this, but this is just a reminder <laughs> of what we need to be doing. And I want to read an extract from a particular book written by Ian Bonds, and it's called The Power Through Prayer. Power Through Prayer. He says this, We are constantly on a stretch, if not a strain, to devise new methods, new plans, new organisations to advance the church and secure enlargement and efficiency for the gospel. This trend of the day has a tendency to lose sight of the man in the plan of the organisation. His use of man is speaking of mankind, men and women. Okay, so that's all of us here this morning. God's plan is to make much of the man, far more of him than of anything else. Men are God's method. The church is looking for better methods God is looking for better men. It is my privilege to preach week after week after week after week with this one thing in mind, that at the end of it, we would have better men and better women. If we make the growth of the church the goal, and if we make methods the goal, we have missed the mark. It's possible to grow the church, but not grow people. But I believe if our aim is that we grow people, we will also grow the church. And so it's not so much about methods because methods alone will not help us stay on mission. Behind every methodology is a person or a group of people. Methods are only as good as the people implementing them. In other words, people make the method, methods don't make the people. And this is true when it comes to us being on mission and staying on mission, in particular when it comes to evangelism. Evangelism, for the most part, is a method that is not working in the church. And the reason it's not working is because our method and our approach is all wrong. Our approach has been wrong because our thinking has been wrong. We have viewed evangelism as a method to grow the church rather than to love people. We see unsaved people as an evangelistic challenge to conquer rather than people to be loved, enjoyed and served. What we need in our hearts is a love revolution, not more evangelism. Through this series, I want you to breathe easy and I want you to give yourselves a break and I want you to stop evangelising because our methods of evangelism are not working. Because our methods are attached to a wrong approach and a wrong approach is attached to wrong thinking. In actual fact, Christians and non-Christians have this in common. We both hate evangelism. (laughs) Christians hate evangelism because we feel awkward doing it. Let's be honest. 
It's like the E word. We feel awkward doing it. Non-Christians hate evangelism because Christians are indeed awkward at doing it. So we all hate evangelism. So I want to take evangelism in our understanding. I want to take evangelism as we understand it off the table and talk more about the heart of what Jesus had in mind when He said, go into all the world. In John 3.16, it says, God so loved the world. It didn't start with God so felt like evangelising the world. It starts with love. We need a love revolution. We need a change in our heart. We need a change in the way we think. Otherwise, we're going to just keep doing what we've always done with very little results. And we're ultimately going to get frustrated and want to give up and give in. And then we will never be and stay on mission. Being a Christian does not make us compassionate. We think because I'm a Christian and I've crossed over from the dark side to the light, I am now compassionate. No, you're not. It just means we are part of the privileged few that have received the compassion of God. And we live in the blessing of the compassion of God. But it does not for one moment mean that we are compassionate. Jesus told a story to highlight this point, And I want to read from it this morning. And it's found in Luke Chapter 10, it's all about Luke and Naomi this morning. Luke chapter 10 and verse 25 says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? What is written in the law? He replied. How do you read it? Jesus answers a question with two questions. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength and love your neighbour as yourself. Just like that. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He starts telling a story. When he fell into the hands of robbers and they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came to where the man was. And when he saw the man, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you any extra cost you may have. Which of these three do you think was the neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. 
Today, I want to look at three questions that arise from this story that Jesus told to highlight my point that I've already made in my introduction. My first question to you based upon this story is this. Who is my neighbour? That's the question the expert in the law asked. In order to justify himself, he asked, then, then, then who is my neighbour? Which highlights a few things. One being, he never watched Sesame Street. Because had he watched Sesame Street, he would have known neighbours are the people that you meet when you're walking down the street. They're the people that you meet each day. It's really quite simple. Who is my neighbour? The people that you meet when you're walking down the street. The people that you meet each day. That's who your neighbours are. The people in your university, the people in your schools, the people in your workplace, the people that you park next to in the shopping centre when you're parking your car, the people that serve you coffee, the people that serve you groceries, those people that we meet when we're walking down the street, they're the people that we meet each day. That's who our neighbour is. In other words, if you lived in the only house on your street, you would still have lots of neighbours. We need to understand and engage the people in our world. Jesus told this story to say, your neighbour is anyone that you come across, in particular those that have a particular need. Anyone in need is your neighbour. Anyone who is willing to be inconvenienced and to help me is your neighbour. We need as people to have an attitude adjustment. We need to have an attitude that says, go ahead and inconvenience me. We need to take off our signs that say, do not disturb. And we need to put on new signs that say, please disturb me. Because we get too comfortable and we get too busy doing all of the things that we are doing based upon the methods we have in place, based upon the structures we have in place, based upon the systems we have in place. And all of them are failing for the most part. Because at the heart of all those systems and methods, we've lost a sense of love. We've lost a sense of why we are doing what we are meant to be doing. Your neighbour is anyone in need whom you or I have the ability to help. In other words, our neighbours have nothing to do with religion. It's not like now I go to church, I have neighbours. No, it had nothing to do with church attendance. It had nothing to do with race, colour, culture or creed. It is simply the people in our world that we meet when we're walking down the street. And to highlight this point, Jesus, ever the mind opener, throws a Samaritan into the story. If it was just about church attendance, he wouldn't have used the Samaritan as an example. 
As I mentioned a few weeks ago, the Jews and the Samaritans did not see eye to eye. The Jews viewed Samaritans as the lowest of the low. And Jesus puts a Samaritan smack bang in the center of his story, proving that it's not about your church attendance. It's not about your religion. It's not about your color or your creed that matters when it comes to who is your neighbor. It comes down to us having a heart for people. The man that was in need in the story that Jesus told was in fact a neighbor to all three men in the story. He was a neighbor to the priest, he was a neighbor to the Levite, and he was a neighbor to the Samaritan. So the answer to the question, who is my neighbor? Who is your neighbor? It's anyone you meet. You've got a lot more neighbors than you first thought. It always saddens me that Christians who have been going to church for a number of years say, I have no non-Christian friends anymore. That's because we've got to understand what a true neighbor is. Who is your neighbor? It's anyone in our world. Secondly, who was the neighbor? We understand now who is the neighbor, but who was the neighbor in the story? See, all three men in the story that Jesus told saw the man that had been robbed. It wasn't like they just didn't see the man. All three saw, but two of the three did what I call the look away. Who knows what the look away is? That's when you see something that you don't want to get involved in and you look away. Maybe you've never had some guy in the middle of the road bleeding who's just been robbed, but we've all done the look away. Think Tea Tree Plaza. And you're shopping. Both hands are filled with shopping. Your hands are getting tired. And you see someone. You may not like them. You may, it may not even be about whether you like them or not. But you know that if you stop and talk, you're going to be there a long time. And so you go, oh, there's so-and-so. Some of you got so good at this, you've learned how to hide. You just duck into a shop, which can be really problematic if you don't look at what shop you're going into. Anything to get away from the particular person that you either don't want to see or don't have time to speak to. In other words, you knew they were there, but you chose to do the look away. The priest saw the man, but did the look away. Sometimes a look away is just as simple as just pretending you're doing a shoe up. Just, ah, uh, sorry, so I, I, I didn't see it. Or the old, uh, the yawn, shut your eyes, the yawn. I don't know what it looked like, but I know this, that they crossed on the other side of the road. 
The priest crossed on the other side of the road. The Levite crossed on the other side of the road. And unfortunately, for those listening, the hero in the story was the Samaritan. He was the only one who acted. And the expert in the law that asked the question wouldn't have been happy with this because they didn't like Samaritans, particularly ones that are made to look like heroes. I mean, this would be like Jesus telling the story that there was an Adelaide Crow supporter injured and a Port Power supporter helped them. I mean, it'd just, it'd just be like shock of shocks. It'd be like horror of horrors. Can't the hero be someone other than the Port Adelaide supporter? Because no one, I mean, everyone knows nothing good can come from Port Adelaide. If you are from Port Adelaide, God bless you, you are so welcome. See, God's answer to helping people, it's not rocket science, it's, it's really quite easy. His answer to helping people is by sending people. How is God going to mobilize his church through sending you and I? It's not rocket science. God's answer to helping people is simply to send people. And what he's saying in this story is this, if the church won't do it, I'll get someone else who will. This parable has been entitled, The Good Samaritan. If I had the opportunity to go back in history and, and, and put my title over this story, it would be this, don't leave it to Samaritans. Because I think that's the point Jesus is making here. Let's not leave the job that was given to us as the church to others. But know this, that God is so committed to people, he will use anyone to get his job done. Which brings me to my last question this morning, and it's simply this. Do you love your neighbour? See, this ultimately is not a doing story. This is a love story, ultimately. Jesus, in telling the story, is not trying to get us to do more. He's trying to get us to love more. The expert in the law said, what do I have to do? And Jesus is saying nothing, because it doesn't start with our doing. This is not a doing story. I don't want every one of us just to go off and do something. So much as have a stock take of our heart and ask ourselves this, do we really love people? The context of this whole story was on the two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, strength and soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, when you get that right, this is what it looks like. But it never starts with doing. It always starts with love. Love was the difference in this story. The Samaritan, it says, had compassion on the man. 
The priest and the Levite didn't quite see it that way. For the priest and the Levite to touch this man, that would have made they were unclean. They would have had to go back and uh, do a, a cleansing ceremony all over again and they're in a hurry. And so they made that moment more about them. I would be more than happy if a few people rocked up late because they stopped to help someone. As opposed to being on church on time and drive past the people that are in need. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, the first question which the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the Good Samaritan reversed the question, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? What will happen to these people that we meet in the street if we continue to walk by? I'm not even asking you to evangelize. I'm not even asking for you to invite them to church necessarily. Because at the heart of evangelism, it always starts with relationship. And if we're going to increase our sphere of influence, we've got to get in people's world first. And you don't get in people's world first by just telling them what they're doing wrong and telling them to get to church. We might have more effective outreach programs if we just stopped and looked after our neighbors. Jesus concludes with this question. Which one do you think was the neighbor in the story? And the expert in the law Answered this way. Uh, the one who showed mercy on him. He couldn't even say Samaritan. He couldn't even acknowledge the one who shouldn't have did. He answered by saying, oh, the one who didn't have mercy. Which means to me, you can hear truth, agree with truth, but still not let it change you. This expert in the law heard what Jesus said. He agreed. That guy, he showed mercy. But it didn't necessarily move him to change. We don't need more evangelism in the church. We need a love revolution in the church. We need our hearts to break again for that which breaks God's heart. Jesus, knowing what this man was thinking, said, well, if you agree... Go and do likewise. In other words, go and be 
what the Samaritan was to the man that was robbed. See, he wasn't trying to do anything. He was just being. He just saw a need and acted accordingly because that's just the right thing to do. And I think if we could take this approach and give ourselves a break when it comes to evangelizing our family and friends, we might just have more fun. We might just have more success. And instead of us ramming religion down people's throats that they're not interested in, we may find through our lifestyle people start asking us questions. Kath and I have a number of friends in our world that do not go to church and have made it very clear they're not interested. And we just keep lobbing up. We keep showing our face. We just keep being there for them. We keep inviting them over for dinner. Not trying to get them to church, but just because we like them. And what they were very clear about in the beginning, now they start asking questions. And I get quite cheeky with one in particular this one particular friend of ours, she brings up questions all the time now. And I said, can you stop this? Can you stop? Can you, stop? You, you told me you didn't want me to preach at you, but now all you do is preach at me. Can you please stop this? This is getting quite embarrassing and quite awkward for all of us. Stop preaching at me. Stop bringing religion into it, please. She says, no, no, but I'm interested. I said, well, what changed? Where did that interest come from? Maybe it's because we're not trying to make them a number. Maybe it's because we're not trying to get them to church. Maybe it's because we're just befriending them and we actually just like them and they feel safe and they're starting to recognize some things about our marriage and our life that we can speak into and we've now earned the right. Leo Tolstoy says this, everyone thinks of changing the world but no one thinks of changing himself. For you to see me up here week after week, you get to know me. You get to know me warts and all. And I've got a lot of flaws and a lot of faults. And if you're looking for them, they are there to be seen. And if you look around this church, there are lots of faults. If you look at our worship team, if you knew them intimately, you think that they shouldn't even be up here. The point is not whether they are perfect or not. The real question is, where do we fit in the mix? And the last time I checked, we're all pretty much of a muchness. The only person who's ever walked the planet that was perfect was the one I gave my life to. And by having him at the centre of my life, I trust that are becoming more and more like him. But for us to be the church that is on mission and stays on mission, we need to assess what matters most. And the great thing about a message like this is that as a church, we're in a great place. But why wait till we're not to bring up a message like this? This I know. Church, family, 
kids, marriage, sport, activities can all get in the way of the primary reason of why Jesus has put us here in the first place. And that is we might be salt and we might be light to those that are our neighbours. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.